Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. For many of us in this room and many around the world, we have this song in common. For we were in our wretchedness and our sin, and we were in the darkness. We were blind. We had no hope in ourselves or of ourselves. Then all of a sudden, the grace of God comes upon our lives and awakens us, takes us from the darkness into the light. And we were blind and we were made to see. But for many more people around the world, they remain in their darkness. They remain blinded to who God is. And in that state of being, they cannot see who he is. They read his word, they do not see him. They hear him preach, they do not see him. They may even pray, but they do not see and understand who God is. And our prayer is that his grace may be upon them and that they may respond in true faith and repentance. You see, there's only one gospel. But there are many stories of God's amazing grace. And there are many in this room who could stand and give testimony today of God's amazing grace in your life. You share testimony. It is your story of how you have been changed forever for the glory of God. Now, your story may begin at age five, where you were brought up in a home that talked about Jesus every day. And from a young age, you responded in faith and repentance, and, and you truly wanted to follow Christ from a very young age. It was real to you as it is today. For others, it may be when you were around age 13, you were on a youth trip, and you've been brought up in church, or maybe you hadn't been brought in church. Maybe somebody invited you because they wanted their buddy to go along on the trip. And while you're there, you hear the name of Jesus Christ as if you've never heard it before, and you responded in faith and repentance Lord. Or maybe it was age 20 that you're in college or you're out on your own and you've been to the church before. You know everything that you're supposed to do in the church, but something is different. All of a sudden, you're here in the name of Jesus as if you've never heard him before. And there's faith and repentance in Christ. Maybe it's age 35 You've been busy with life, your own life. You have kids now. You want something a lot better for them than you have for yourself. And you get into the local church and you begin to hear the name of Jesus as if you've never heard him before. Or maybe age 70. And you live the majority of your life. And you're going, wow, there's something missing. For all of these years, there's something missing. All of a sudden, it's found in Christ. We all have different stories that we can tell, as did Paul. And here is Paul, and just a reminder, he is being accused that his message is man-centered, not God-centered. So it's man's gospel, not God's gospel. And he asks this question, do you think that I'm seeking the approval of man or of God? That's what we looked at last week together. And then as we look into this week, as we look into the passage once again, we see that he then transitions to his testimony his story, his story of God's amazing grace, which brought Paul to life on the road to 
Damascus. It's a story within the big story of the grand theme of the Bible, which is redemption and restoration. And within that, here is Paul, who was once named Saul. He's beginning to break it down for us so that we can hear the power in his testimony. His audience can receive this letter and go, okay, obviously he didn't receive this message from man. He did receive this from Christ. And that's his point of sharing his testimony here. And so here's three things that we're gonna take notice of today. So if you're taking notes, you, you wanna jot down these three, we're gonna be go, revisiting these in just a moment. Number one, your testimony reveals who you are apart from God. Reveals who you are apart from God. Number two, your testimony speaks of what God has done. And then number three, your testimony explains what God is doing now. So who you were, what God has done, done and what he is doing in your life. And, and Paul's going to break that down for us. It's very similar, but not as lengthy as Acts chapter 26. When Paul is standing before King Agrippa because the Jews are accusing him and they want him dead. So he goes and stands before King Agrippa and he gives his defense of the gospel. And he says, this is who I was. This is my past. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees of the strictest sect. This is who I was. I didn't want Jesus. I didn't like Jesus. I was out to kill the name of Jesus. But on the road to Damascus, I was stopped dead in my tracks. And it was there where God's grace came upon me, shined light into the darkness, and saved my life. So he spoke of what God had done there on the road to Damascus and then his life in Christ. He explained what God was then doing in his life. So since then, since that road to Damascus, here's what I've been doing, King Agrippa. And King Agrippa looks at him at the end and he says, in such a short amount of time, would you persuade me to become a Christian? And I love how Paul responds. Look at with me uh, in Acts 26. Maybe we have it up on the screen for you. He says, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains, obviously. And that's our desire as well. As followers of Christ Jesus, we give testimony to who we were, what God has done, and what he is doing. And our desire is that everyone would hear the good news of Jesus Christ and have true faith and repentance in following Jesus. That should be our desire for everyone in Valdosta, Jordan. Brian, who do you want to be saved? I want everyone to be saved. Everyone. I call no one off limits. No one. No one. You say, well, wow, that sounds very noble but aren't there some people who are kind of beyond repair? They've kind of traveled too far down that road. There's no time for their change in repentance. Haven't they done too many wrong things? No, not one. Because if that's the case, then we would be reading what Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit here in Scripture. Because here's a man who is named Saul, who killed Christians, gave his approval for the killing of Christians, and now his name is Paul, and he is trying to reach everyone in the name of Christ. And it's the power of this passage today where we see the gospel in someone's life, the transformation 
one who wanted Jesus gone, up until he was stopped dead in his tracks right there, where Jesus says, surprise, here I am. No. Okay, Scripture doesn't say he said surprise. All right, but it did surprise Paul, did it not? And he was terrified. Get this, he was terrified. As he's standing before Christ, all alone, having to give his own defense. And this is the reality for all of us. Maybe it's a terrifying thought for you that one day you'll stand before a holy God. Are you gonna stand to give your own defense? Because if you plan to do that, even right now you should be terrified because there's no defense that you could give that is worthy to be received by Christ at that moment. And there's nothing that Paul could have done on that road. Nothing he could have said in and of himself of how he could have been worthy of Christ. And God would have been good. God would have been just to kill him right there. He would have been. No, he shows his grace. And he saves him. So that Paul can say, listen, this message that I am preaching is not man's gospel. This is God's gospel. So since we are looking at this evidence today, because that's what it is, Paul is giving evidence to his message, then let's take some time together to comb through this passage, shall we, so that we may have a better understanding of why Paul is writing to the Galatians and also that we may be encouraged to share our story more often. Number one, your testimony reveals who you are apart from God. Read with me again, verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Paul did not want the gospel upheld before meeting Christ. He wanted to obliterate the gospel, to completely destroy it. It's, it's not enough just to say that Paul persecuted the church. No, he has to go on and say, I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. These are strong words for us today. So here's an illustration to kind of get a better grasp of this. If the gospel was New York City, because this is, this is the idea of destroy, meaning to completely wipe out, to take out a city completely. If the gospel were New York City, Paul would want to go in before meeting Christ, and he would want to wipe out every building, no building left standing, completely destroyed. The Statue of Liberty thrown into the harbor. Nothing left to look at. That's what he wanted. He didn't want a single member of the church walking on earth. That's who he was. That's what he was about, destroying them all. And you say, hey, are there some people beyond repair? I think we would look to him and say, this guy, he's beyond repair. Both persecuted and destroyed are in the imperfect here, which means that it was a continuous action. So 
we have this understanding that as he's going to Damascus to receive other Christians to take them and to throw them into prison, that he is becoming more ferocious in his task. His hatred is continuing to grow. He's right in the middle of his mission to destroy the church, right in the middle of it when Christ comes. And he speaks of his former life. He says, my former life was spent persecuting the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. My former life, here was Paul's former life when he was Saul. He was deeply religious. He was deeply religious, but he was deeply flawed. It is absolutely possible to be deeply religious while remaining fully rebellious against God the Father. And I think many of us can relate to this in this culture that we live in. There are many people who are religious. Man, you've got the church talk. You know how to play this game. You may have convinced yourself that you are good because you've been brought up in a home where your parents talked about God, where you prayed at the table, where you often read your Bible, and you're saying, I'm good, I've done these things. You can be deeply religious, but yet deeply flawed. And this was Paul. And as he was tearing down the church, he was advancing in Judaism. So he thought that he was growing in godliness as he was tearing down the church, but we know that those two are opposed to each other, and they both cannot coexist in one person. So if you are not for God, you are against him. If you haven't recognized your great need of Jesus because of our sin, then you are against him. You might as well be destroying and tearing down what is the church, as we see so in the life of Paul. To give a better understanding of this, I'll give a quote from Martin Luther, a great reformer. He was a monk before following Jesus. In fact, it was in these monasteries back right even before the Reformation time frame that the idea of the clock was formed so that every hour could be accounted for and that they would pray seven times a day. Everything was so structured and it looked so good on the outside. But yet here, how he describes himself before following Christ. He says, I crucified Christ daily in my monkish life and blasphemed God through my false faith wherein I then continually lived. Outwardly, I was not as other men, extortioners, unjust, whoremongers. I know we don't use a lot of those words, but back then in this time they did. But I kept chastity, poverty, and obedience Moreover, I was free from the cares of this present life. I was only given to fasting, watching, praying, saying of masses, and such like. Notwithstanding, in the meantime, I fostered under this, quote, holiness and trust in mine own righteousness, continual mistrust, doubtfulness, fear, hatred, and blasphemy against God. And this is my righteousness, was nothing else but a filthy puddle in the very kingdom of the devil. Look good on the outside. 
But here he is sitting in this filthy puddle. Paul says, I wasn't swimming in the endless oceans of God's grace. Instead, I was sitting in the filthy puddle of my own self-righteousness. This is who he was before Christ. He thought he was living, but truly he was dead in his sin. And because he was dead in his sin, he wanted everyone to be dead in their sins. This is the mindset of the devil. He holds captive the mind of the unbeliever, as we see in 2 Corinthians 4.4, blinding them from the truth. And he doesn't want them to see the truth because he rejects the truth. He wants everyone to reject the truth. This is us in the flesh. This is us before Christ. This was Paul before Christ. This was Paul apart from God. So who are you apart from God? Or who were you apart from God? We all have a story, but there's only one gospel. Yes, many stories of God's amazing grace, but only one gospel that we trust fully in. But what is your story? Who were you before Jesus really changed you? What was your life like then? And how did you live your life? What, what were your ambitions and what were your idols? What was most important to you before being found in Christ? And how did all that change through Jesus? How has coming to know Christ changed your life? Timothy Keller says, no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Maybe, look, I've, I've sat with people from this local church well, I don't think they're in attendance today, so I mean, I'm not going to mention their name anyway, but we sit down and say, you know what? Your greatest problem is not how your father treated you. It's not your home life. <laughs> it's that you think you're good, and not just good, but really good. I've asked people that question, do you think that you're good? And the response that I heard back, I was forced to say, no, no, I'm not only good, man, I'm really good. Oh, wow, tell me why you're really good. I can't wait to hear it, tell me, man. Tell me what Christ has done, how does he make you really good? And Christ was never mentioned. It was all about what he had done. And at the end of the conversation, I look right at him, I'm saying, I'm about to break this to you, here it is, you're not good. And he didn't think that was good. And he walked out. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel. I hope that that young man will understand his great need of the gospel. But then, none are so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. I've had similar conversations with people who can't even lift their head up while they're talking about the things they've done. And they're going, no, he would not love me. He would not save me. And the response is to say, do not cheapen God's grace. 
Do not cheapen his love for you. The things that you have done, you can trust have been paid for in Christ. Put your faith and trust in Christ today. So thankfully, God was patient with Paul, right? His pre-conversion as he is patient with us. Because we can think of the things we did or who we were and knowing that our life could have ended at that time and, and God could have willed it to be so, but he didn't. He was patient and kind with us that led us to repentance. So we're so grateful for that. But what about those of you who are here today? You're, you're living apart from God. Your faith and trust is not fully in Christ Jesus. Do you want to be that person? Do you enjoy the person that you are separated from God? Or do you want to be made alive in Christ? If you want to be made alive in Christ, look to Jesus, what he did on the cross, taking on sin and suffering and shame. That is the greatest act of grace. And knowing that his righteousness can be imputed to you as your sin was put onto him. Look to Jesus today. May this be your testimony, but if you are living apart from God and you're saying, you know what, I've, I've done so many things. I mean, take courage in what Paul is saying right here. As we pause in the middle of this message, take courage. This was who Paul was. But here now, how he changed and how you can change. So follow with us the rest of the way. If you're thinking, I don't know, I don't know if he can forgive me. Yes, he can. And your life can be changed. Notice this in the first section in verses 13 and 14. Paul is the subject. The pronoun is I. But in the second section here, as we look in verses 15 and 16, it is God who is the subject. It is his grace which is emphasized. Read with me verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Here's the second thing. Your testimony speaks of what God has done. And this is what Paul is saying. I'm going to tell you now, churches in Galatia, what God has done. And as I tell you who I used to be and what happened on that road to Damascus, it didn't start there. It started way earlier than that. Paul is the one who says this, but when he who set me apart before I was born. As he set him apart, God was pleased to then reveal who his son was. This means that God didn't look to Paul and go, wow, that, that guy, he has potential. Man, he can really knock it out of the park. I think I'm gonna save him. Man, he's gonna write most of the New Testament. I, I need to save him. It's not Paul's works. It's not Paul's works at all. It's never about Paul's works. It's about God's grace. And this is clearly seen before he was even born. You say, okay, okay, so God knows all things. So what God did was that he then looked forward to see what Paul would do. And then when he looked forward to see that Paul would follow him at Damascus, and then go on to write the majority of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit. Then God backtraced it and said, okay, I'm 
before you're born, now you're mine. No, God doesn't play those games. He's not caught in the confines of the time in which he created. He's eternal. He's everlasting. So what do we learn from this passage? That God made Paul his before he was ever born. And what's the response to that? The response is that he would be pleased to reveal who his son was. You know, the Jewish mind had no problem with this, with election, God setting people apart before they were born, because we read it in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This word knew means it's, it's intimate. It's, it's a love. I pursued you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And not only that, but I appointed you, a prophet to the nations. All of these things happening before you were born, I had this planned for you. Isaiah 49, verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Wow. He formed me from the womb to be his servant. That's why I was created, to be his servant. That's what Isaiah says. And as we looked in Luke a couple weeks ago with the sanctity of life, we, we revisit it. Luke 1, verse 15, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit when we're obedient, when we're abiding in Christ. But he's saying he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb so that when Mary walked in with Jesus in her womb, and there is Elizabeth with John the Baptist in his womb. As soon as they walk in, John the Baptist is jumping in the womb saying, what up, Jesus? Yeah. He left. So excited to see you. My whole life, my whole purpose for being in this womb is to prepare the way for you, Jesus. That's why God made me. John had no problem with that. What grace. What clarity for us in Scripture. That man cannot boast of himself when we share our testimonies. When we share our testimonies, we share of his grace upon us. Some of you say, I don't have a good story to tell. I don't have a good testimony. It's rather boring. You just called God boring. He's not boring. Your testimony, the way you share it may be boring but it can be so much more exciting when you highlight God's grace. God called Paul powerfully and effectively just as he called us to himself by his sovereign grace. And God's call is action and God's word is deed. Hear this, when God says, let there be light, there is light in Genesis chapter one. When Jesus says, silence, be still, it gets still, the water's calm. No need to say, I invite you to be still, or I hope you are still. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. It does not have to go into the tomb and do CPR and resuscitate him. His word brings life. His word calls forth. 
And this is what Paul is saying. No one comes to Christ apart from the Holy Spirit's work. There's no boasting of ourselves and our stories of God's amazing grace because it's God's work. It's the Holy Spirit's work in us. He wasn't saying, oh, I had a change of heart on my way to Damascus. You know, on the way there, I thought, oh, you know, maybe the church isn't so bad. You know, maybe I should start preaching Jesus. No, that wasn't, that was the last thought on Paul's mind. He could not make it clearer in this passage. The last thing on my mind was to love Jesus. God had something planned from the very beginning for me that I had no clue of. It was the Holy Spirit who then invaded Paul's heart. What do we learn from this passage? Because Paul was set apart before he was ever born, one day he would repent and follow Christ. That's the certainty. Maybe what you may, you may struggle with a passage like this when we look at this and go, this is really confusing, Brian. I'm really having a tough time with this because what if I want to follow Jesus but he didn't set me apart before I was born. That's a straw man argument. That makes no sense. <laughs> That's not what's revealed in scripture. If you want Jesus, you know that it's his grace upon your life. There's no wanting Jesus apart from the grace of God. Amen? And that is comfort. I mean, look at Peter. When Peter stands before Jesus, before he goes to the cross, and he says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus, does he then look at Peter and say, oh, Peter, you've learned so much, man. Way to go. These three years have really been worth it. I mean, I'm sorry you're gonna deny me three times, but you know what? Right now, you're doing pretty good for yourself. No, he doesn't say that. There's what he says in Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My Father has revealed this to you, Peter. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, as he's quoting Isaiah 64, he says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So here's the comfort that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, that when we repented to follow Jesus, the Spirit was already at work in us, calling us effectively and sure. C.S. Lewis says this, Christianity must be from God, for who else could have thought it up? Wow. Could you have thought it up? Would I have thought it up? I don't think so. You may not have a Damascus Road experience, a testimony to tell where you were just all out rebellious on the outward there, but all of us who follow Christ will have a 2 Corinthians 4, 6 experience. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We all share this in common church, where his light shown into our hearts and awakened us from the dead to follow Christ. By his spirit, God makes the reality of Christ known to us. That is the work of the spirit. We don't arrive to God on our own. We are awakened unto who God is 
through the Holy Spirit. And God is pleased to reveal. This word reveal means literally to remove a veil or a covering, exposing to open view what was hidden before. So Paul is saying, it pleased him to reveal that which was hidden to me before, that which I could not see with my sinful eyes. I was blinded. I was held captive. Satan had his hand on my mind. 2 Corinthians 4.4. When this veil is taken away, he makes it manifest these things previously secret or unknown. And we're saved for a purpose. Understand this. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are saved for a purpose. You're not saved just to go to heaven so that you can rest. No, 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 no. That's the thought of the rich young ruler, guys. He wanted eternal life. What must I do? And Jesus says, hey, go sell everything you have and come follow me, saying, die to yourself. I'm calling you to follow me. He says, no, thank you. Don't want that. Mm -mm. I just wanted eternal life. That's all I wanted. And that's what many people want out of salvation. They want eternal life, but they still want their life here on this earth. That's not salvation. Because we are called to something, as Paul was called to something, in order that he may preach Christ among the Gentiles. The purpose of Paul coming to the Galatians was because God saved him and sent him to preach to the Galatians. That's why he went. That's what he was called to do. Verse 15 and 16 gives us a clear picture of God's amazing grace. The work that God had done in Paul. Why did God save Paul? Because it pleased him to do so. Why does God save us? Because it pleases him to do so. Our answer is right before us in Scripture. Paul's not in a different category than us, and we're not in a different category from Paul when it comes to this calling. All together, the church of yesterday, the church of today, and the church of tomorrow will proclaim God's amazing grace. This is the power within our testimony, not our works, but his grace. And I bear testimony of this in my own life, as many of you bear testimony of this in your own life. I was raised going to church every week. I wanted to take communion for years, and my mother would never let me. He said, son, it's not for you right now. I'm grateful for a mother who was obedient to say, you don't understand communion yet. It's not time for you, son. But listen, keep listening. At age nine, I was baptized. I was baptized because I thought that's what you did at age nine. I saw other kids that were in my class going forward, filling out a card, got baptized. Man, I got baptized. When I got up there to get baptized, man, I waved to everybody. Everybody laughed. It was a cool moment. It meant nothing. Around age 11, I got connected to a student ministry. And I started hearing about Jesus, but every week I would go home and I would still live my own life. Nothing was different. Nothing was different. I was one way at church. I was another way at school. Man, I had a mouth on me. Man, I had an attitude. Oh, I didn't like to strike out. Let's just say that. And it, <laughs> Sadly, it happened too much, man. Then when I was 13... I went on a trip to Panama City because it sounded fun. June 20th through the 24th. Man, played basketball that week, played 
went on the beach, had a good time, went to the old Miracle Strip. Can we take a moment to remember the Miracle Strip in Panama City? Went to the water park, had a great time. But here's what happened. Every night, I'm not kidding you, every night when they preached Jesus, I was glued in, man. I was on there. As if nobody had ever told me about Jesus before. I felt like there was no one, 150 kids in the room. And it was just like there was one kid in the room and he was talking to me every night. And every night I'm like, Lord Jesus, save me, save me. I think I'm going to hell. Save me, I don't know what's going on. And then finally on the final night, I go to a student pastor. I said, you, you've got to tell me if I'm going to heaven, man, if I'm a Christian. Because I'm hearing about Jesus and I want to follow him. But I don't know if, I've, if I'm following him, I got baptized, I don't know. He said, man, I can't give you that answer. He said, but look to Christ. That's all I needed. Went to my cabin third bunk, that's where they put the seventh graders, all right, and, and I uh, lie flat before the Lord, and I prayed stuff, and I guarantee you, it wasn't all theologically correct, all right, but I'm like, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, save me, I'm separated, I don't want to go to hell, I want you, I mean, can we just be sure of this, I mean, for 15, 30 minutes right there, just praying. What was the difference? Let me tell you the difference was my life afterwards, My life's never been the same. Oh, man, I, I do stuff that's not pleasing to the Lord. Not just done stuff. I do stuff that's not pleasing to the Lord. But as the years go by, I savor it. I love being a follower of Christ. Knowing Jesus is the greatest joy. Do you have that? Do you have that in your life where you say, I love Jesus. And I hear this message. And I want to follow Christ. Because many people in the room, a lot of times, week in and week out, they hear the gospel and they, they nod their heads and they go out and they live a life that's, that's no different. And they think that just because they agree somewhat with who Jesus was, what he came to do, that they're okay. Paul said, no, your life is incredibly different. Because when you become a follower of Christ, he fully equips you for ministry. So that you're not looking at me and going, hey, you're the pastor, you preach, that's ministry. Those missionaries, that's ministry, but I'm a businessman. Or you know what, I'm a school teacher. Or you know, I'm a police officer. And you can go on down the list, and I'm saying, yeah, and? Paul was a tent maker. Share Jesus. So that we don't have these testimonies that just say, you know what? Yeah, I got saved and baptized, and that's all we can share. I mean, that's it. It's like, here it is. I mean, the, this is a broken record for those of you who have heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. Here it is. You go on and on and on and on and on about who you were before Christ, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I got saved, baptized, man, everything's good. All right, let's go. What's he done since then? Well, man, you know, I've, I've kind of been up and down. You know, I really hadn't been doing anything. You know, I'm not really involved in local church, but I know I'm saved. Wow. And because you've been called to something. You've been called into action. Paul had been called into action. What if, what if Paul had been called and then he said, you know what, yeah, thank you for saving me, Jesus. I'm just gonna stop right there. No, he was called and he followed that calling. To then number three, so that he could tell his testimony. Number three, your testimony explains what God is doing now. What is God doing now? What is God doing now? 
says, I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem uh, to visit Cephas and there remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And I'm writing to you before God. I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The, they only were hearing it said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This was the testimony of what God was doing in Paul's life. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. No, he spent three years in Arabia. The thought is that it could have been the three years that he spent there that he went through the Old Testament. And through the Old Testament, he was able to see where Christ was fulfilled in all of these things. He received his learning from Jesus, not from man. So when we're reading the New Testament, and the majority of which Paul wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit, we're not reading what Paul's thoughts are on God that he heard from man. No, this is Jesus Christ speaking through Paul. That's what's happening. Because he spent three years alone with him. And then when he saw Peter, he only spent 15 days with him. So what he's telling him, he said, this isn't man's gospel. I wasn't trained by other men. No, I've been with Christ. And when we're talking about the apostleship, it's not interchangeable with pastor and elder and bishop. No, it's not the same. This apostle, he was with Christ. He saw Christ. He heard from Christ. So as the disciples followed Jesus for three years on this earth, this was Paul's three years with Christ. And then from there, he goes on. As he explains it to him, he says, how I used to persecute, or he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. See, that was the message that went before Paul wherever he went. That's what he was known for. This is the guy who used to persecute the church. He doesn't persecute the church anymore, though. He loves Jesus. That's what was known about him. What's known about you? What do people say about you when it comes to Christ? Because this is what they said about Paul. And he returned to Damascus. Later, he returned to Damascus not to obliterate and destroy the church, but to help build God's kingdom of believers. And how do we do this? We abide with Christ so that we may bear much fruit. So what do people notice different about you now that you follow Jesus? Here's what he finishes with, and he says, and they glorified God because of me. This is not a boastful statement, but a most humble statement. May people glorify God due to the sanctifying work that he has done in us. We should want to be a people to glorify God because of his amazing grace work in us. So as we get to the end of this message here, I'm gonna ask you a few questions. Do people glorify God because you are no longer who you used to be? Have you shared what God has done in your life? 
And does anyone know what God is doing in your life right now? Are you kind of putting that on other people to do, the professionals to do, or are you in action? You see, it could be your testimony that points other people to Christ. Your testimony. His grace in your life, how he has changed you. And God can use it to change someone's life, but it, it must be, when you share your testimony, it must be all about God's amazing grace. Yes, tell them who you used to be. Tell them how you became a follower of Christ and tell them what things are happening now, but let the hero of that story be Christ. Let it be Christ. But maybe you're here today and you don't, you don't see God working in your life at all. You're saying, Brian, if it, if it were up to me to go tell somebody about Jesus, I couldn't do it. Maybe that's because you don't know Christ. Today, as you hear this message, do you recognize that you too have sinned? That you've sinned against God. And that because you've sinned against God, you're separated from him. And there is a chasm between you and God, the Father, that you could never cross. You could never cross on your own. But will you recognize that it's Jesus Christ who has paid the price for your sin and bridges that chasm so that you can have freedom to God the Father and have a relationship with him? Today, do you believe this in your heart? Would you say, this is true, amen, to God be the glory? Then let it be made known. Let it be made known. Repent of your sin. Father, forgive me of my sin. I trust in Jesus. Just let it be known to him. Right now, where you're seated, let it be made known. That's your greatest need this morning. In just a moment, the, the church is gonna come forward for communion. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't for you this morning because what you need first and foremost is Jesus. And that comes through what we just said. Repent and trust in Christ. I'm gonna be standing right up here at front and we'll have some pastors to the side. And Listen, during communion, if you wanna come talk and say, hey, I need to know more about following Jesus or today I called upon Christ. I made it known that I was a sinner and I trust in Jesus. Come, come share that with us. But if it's something that you're thinking about, that you're mulling over, then just observe what's happening here today. But continue. Maybe, maybe during the time of communion, you'll pray to the Lord. Maybe for the first time ever. I implore you, look to Jesus. And to the church, in just a moment, we come to receive communion. And as you come, may you come being grateful for God's amazing grace in your life. That's why you can take a piece of bread and dip into the cup to remember the body that was broken for you and the blood poured out for the remission of sins. We don't do this in an unworthy manner, but we come with all seriousness to reflect back on what Christ has done and is doing in us and will do when he returns for us. May this be heavy on your hearts, church. And may we now go into a time of prayer and examination of our hearts. And just one thing on that, as you examine your heart, know that there may be things that you've done this week that you feel like may disqualify you from coming to the table. Are you willing to repent of those things and give those things over to the Lord? Let this be a time of repentance and then come receive.
But know that the only reason we're even worthy to come is because of the good work that Jesus Christ has done. Amen? So let me pray. Ask God's blessings over this meal that we will have together. Father, thank you for this time we've had today. Lord, as we look to your word, we are reminded of what Christ has done. Lord, as we come to receive communion, may it be heavy on our hearts what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do and will do. Father, we confess before you that we are unworthy to come in our own standing, for we are not righteous in and of ourselves. But in Christ Jesus, we can stand in righteousness. Thank you for his good work, for your grace in our lives. And as we receive communion today, may it encourage us to go forth in action, filled with your grace, to preach a message of grace to these people that you've put us among. Father, we ask your blessings now, in Jesus' name. Amen.